Fun Factory.com has partnered with Locker Room Talk and Shots. So when you use my special code, SELS20, you get 20% off your Fun Factory purchase. Just head to us.funfactory.com and use my code, SELS20, at checkout for 20% off sex toys, lube, massage oils, and more. Cheers. <laughs> Do the sex. Hi, this is Annette Benedetti, your hostess for Locker Room Talk and Shots, the podcast that likes to think of itself as the queer NPR of raunchy women's sex talk. You are about to sit in on the kind of conversations women have on their girls' nights out or behind closed doors while enjoying delicious drinks and dishing about sex. Think fun, honest, and feminist as fuck, and always with the goal of fighting the patriarchy one orgasm at a time. Welcome to the locker room. <laughs> Ring loop. Today's locker room talk and shots topic is a guide to cuckolding. So you like to watch your partner get banged. If you are a longtime listener, you have likely stumbled across my very popular episode, Confessions of a Cut Queen. Now, I don't think the two topics, fetishes, kinks, are completely related. However, I have someone here today who can clear up any confusion around that for me. The only way in which I'm an expert in cuckolding is that I have found myself a time or two or three going down the cuckolding porn rabbit hole. I do not know why, but hopefully I will also understand by the end of this conversation why I keep finding myself there and what that's all about. I am excited to introduce my guests to you today. They are Dr. Dulcinea Alex Pitagora. Uh, they are a New York City-based psychotherapist, sex therapist, BDSM expert, and community member who primarily works with people with marginalized identities, orientations, and relationship structuring. As a person who is a trans, non-binary, queer, non-hierarchically poly BDSM oriented and former sex worker themselves, they became a therapist to work with these communities after experiencing firsthand how difficult it can be to find a therapist who understands and supports intersectionally marginalized identities and lifestyles. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Alex, you're also known as the kink doctor. I'm going to refer to you as the kink doctor today. Uh, so could you take the mic for a moment and tell my listeners a little bit more about you? Sure. Thank you. Um, thank you for that introduction and for having me. Um, I love talking about these kind of topics. So yeah, I, um, I handle as kink doctor on social media places. And I also made an episode of a show talking about kink and power dynamics and stuff. Um, because I love talking about it, um, you know, due to my own personal involvement in the community and, and, um, kink lifestyle and power dynamics. Um, like you kind of mentioned that. So I, I am a New York City based psychotherapist and sex therapist. I also do supervision for early career sex therapists and um, therapists. Uh, and I do, I do a fair amount of, you know, activism and side projects. I teach sex, sexual health at NYU. I organize a community listserv called Manhattan Alternative, which is actually going nationwide. So all sorts of, it's going to be a place to find um, kink positive and sex positive therapists everywhere. Right now it's in New York only, but we're just changing that up. Um, 
that's a smattering of things I do, I guess, and who I am. So there you go. Yeah. So you definitely have the background that we need to learn about this topic, because I think this topic comes with a lot of stigma and sort of fear for some people. So listeners, if you're just curious, great. If you're wanting to dip your toe in the water and give this kink a try, please stay to the end because we will, as always, do our takeaways and give you some tips so that you can start playing however you want to play after you finish this episode. Uh, I am joined today with my guest for coffee. It is early for me. I guess it's 10 a.m. It shouldn't be early, but it is. I just want to let y'all know I'm having coffee and I'm actually having coffee from a local Portland roaster and they are called Gay Awakening. And I got their Cheers Queers because I felt like it totally works into my themed podcast. So I am excited to be cheersing with you with my gay awakening. (laughs) So cheers. Cheers. Let's talk about sex. Let's do it. Let's just dive into it. Can we, let's just start with what is cuckolding? Like, what is it exactly? Right. So what is it exactly? So I, I have this thing where I, I can, give a caveat for almost everything. Right. And I believe these terms have like a common understanding, which I'm promise I'm going to say in a second, but also it's really depends on the individual, right. And how they define their sexuality or their preferences and it, the partners who they're having sex with or playing with or whatever. So that caveat aside, I might repeat caveats like that as a spoiler. Um, so cuckolding is a type of a scene. I call it a role play, others really identify with the roles in it and feel like it's more of an orientation. But I think of it as a role play where there's a certain power dynamic involved. And the power dynamic is typically historically where there's more of, um, it's a pretty much, honestly, the genders and orientations, like orientations, not so much, but genders tend to be pretty heteronormative. Just I'm talking about the classic definition, right? without any judgment or values assigned saying the words, right? So tends to be um, a dominant woman, cis woman, let's say, um, for the sake of historical accuracy uh, for this definition, but like, let's say dominant woman who um, has a partner who's a more submissive or beta male, beta males um, phrase often used being like, lower version, less important, submissive, whatever, you know, however that person identifies, honestly. Um, And that beta male, who's her partner, gets off on watching her have sex with someone who's typically like a dominant man, right? And that's that tends to be the scenario. So usually there are three people involved in this role play, but honestly, it can be between, you know, two people, a couple, and it can be just like verbally talking about these other things too. So it doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, an enacted role play where two people are having sex and one per- person is watching. It can be also like a verbalized fantasy, but does that feel comprehensive enough for now? I mean, there are yes. other like term- terms that go along with it and stuff, which we can talk about, but. Right. Yeah. So my understanding has been that traditionally speaking, it was a cisgendered man and a cisgendered woman. And 
the the kind of the role play was that she was forcing him to watch her have sex sure. with another another cisgendered man. Now I'm right. I, I that was sort of my follow up question. Like whenever I get into these kinks, and I I know that they quote tr- traditionally come from very like cis heteronormative roles. Of course, we know that time has gone by and that has changed. So it seems to me, and I was going to ask you that now it just seems to be the importance of it. Is it someone with a vulva having someone with a penis or a cock watch them have sex with someone uh, or that's what I'm curious. I love getting into the, yeah, I love getting into like, you know, dissecting all of this. And I appreciate it. Also, you mentioning that it's supposed to be where she is forcing him to watch. And so I agree, like, that's kind of the narrative arc of the of the role play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason why I said, like, you know, the beta male gets off on it is quite frankly, like in my history, my former job as a sex worker, I was a pro dom. And when I heard a client who is a man coming in to say, like, I want to do a cuckolding role play, which, um, you know, those were usually fantasies and like verbal, you know, stories, but he was saying that cause he gets off on it. And like pretty much any man I've ever talked to who's the beta who's into this scene is certainly getting off on it. So the forced aspect of it can be like part of the role play, but it's typically like not actually forced because as we know in kink and BDSM and role plays, they're always consensual and they're not actually forced, but like certainly the premise of, you know, the idea of being forced can excite people and that's part of it. So I want, I'm glad you said that because I love elaborating on stuff like that. Um, in terms of like historically, like who the the people are that we, you know, think of things, uh, you know, think of role plays, really the, the reason why it might be thought of as before and then having evolved is I don't know if that's true, but the statistical majority of people are cis people. And so these are the people most talking about things and often who are listened to and who are more visible, even in our marginalized and even in the kink community. Um, that's the more, that's the dominant narrative, no pun intended. So, you know, um, it doesn't mean that other identities and other types of genital configurations, top or bottom or whatever, haven't always been involved or interested. It's just like, usually we don't hear about them or talk about them as much. And so, but yeah, for sure, it's typically what you described is, you know, cis woman or someone with the vulva and, you know, et cetera, other genitalia and that you mentioned. So I remember all of them, I promise, but I'm not (laughs) repeating. So, um, but yeah, but I, I mean, nowadays, I think because of the internet, largely like there are more safe forums for people of different identities and genders and, and etc to talk. And so we are hearing more about all sorts of configurations. And I've certainly, you know, had, you know, heard about people talking about cuckolding with like, you know, lesbians cuckolding, everyone's got a vulva unless they're a lesbian with a penis, which is totally a possible thing. I guess I'm thinking of specific people and everyone in the room had a vulva. Um, And, you know, they were doing a cuckolding scene. And so to me, it's less important about like the premise and maybe the way I'm thinking about it more broadly is the power dynamic and, you know, probably showing a little bit of my own preferences and the way I define kink, which is I love thinking about power dynamics and honestly, outside of kink too, I think it's so interesting, but 
I really believe this particular role play is like integral to it is the power dynamic. And that's the thing that's kind of always involved. The other things can change, right? Like the words that you use to describe people, um, what they're doing, what their genitalia is, like how they, you know, how the role play is set up. But it's typically the power dynamic is the central focus of the role play. I think. All right. That makes sense because it seems that anybody could play into cuckolding yeah. um, regardless of the gender. It seems to me at least. And again, it's really about like, you know, the penis going in the vagina as being like integral, right? Like we think about that as being true because we live in a world that positions that is true. We live in a phallocentric society, which is, that's what that means, but it's not necessarily the case. Anything could happen. And like a dildo can go in there. Nothing could go in there. If we're talking about penetration, there doesn't even have to be genitalia involved or penetration or holes at all involved. It could be entire, like, and that's what I love about kink and exploring it and role places that anything could happen. Anything everybody agrees to and consents to can happen, which is of course awesome. So. Yeah. I think it's funny. We talk about on this podcast a lot, the difficulty people have imagining that sex isn't a penis going into a vagina. <laughs> like it's right. so challenging for people to understand that, mm-hmm. that you can have this cuck holding dynamic and it could have nothing to do with that. It's more from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, someone being quote, forced, and and I'll talk about that in a second with you, to watch their partner fuck someone else and or be intimate or or be desired or flirt or, you know, any interact in any any way. So it could be it's flirting, like flirting, even like what it would be a turn on to be out there and then you would send your partner to data is from my understanding of like the betas that I've spoken to and witnessed they're really into the being less important, being disregarded. And that's the power dynamic. It's, it could be humiliation for some people, and but that's not always part of the dynamic, right? That's why it's really particular to the people involved. Like for some people, it's just a way of worshiping and like, I am here to serve and my service is witnessing and understanding that the two of you get to do this and I don't. And for other people, it's it's a humiliation. It's like a degradation thing. Like, you don't get to touch me. Don't even look at me. You can be in the room. You know, they can be like a beta male could be like sitting in the corner or in a chair or something can be silent, can be talking, but is typically watching and and not getting to do the things that the other people are getting um, because they are for whatever reasons. The other people could just be talking completely clothed. And you know what I mean? So yeah. it could be anything, but it, classically it's the, the beta is, is watching the other two have sex and is not getting to be, have sexual pleasure, except really like he probably is, and maybe he's not allowed to touch himself, but he's probably fantasizing and enjoying or like, you know, getting off in some respect. Right. Right. Now we talk about the forcing and this is, I, so I have not covered and I will do a whole podcast on consensual non-consent. Uh, but con- just briefly for my listeners, in case you're not familiar, consensual non-consent, correct me if I'm wrong, please, mm-hmm. is when a person wants to role play being forced to do something sexual. Uh, so they're giving consent to be forced in the role play situation. Uh, so it's not truly non-consensual is a role being played out is 
that consensual non-consent, an integral part to the cuckolding role play? I don't think so. Um, I think that that's, that's a style, like that's sort of a style of the role play. So there's also cuckolding outside of the kink community. Like there are words that are used as this role play, like it can be used this, as this role play, but then there's also, it's like a derogatory term historically outside of kink in the vanilla world, which means like your wife is cheating on you. You're kind of, you suck because you're, you, you're a cuck, right? And that that's a derogatory, that's like a slur. And in that respect, yeah, the, the cuck is being forced, actually forced to just be in this situation. He probably doesn't want to be in. And that's why it's like supposed to be like emasculating, right? I think also to be careful to not confuse, there is in the incel community, uh, this calling other men who aren't incels, they enjoy calling them cucks and making it sound as though they're degraded, forced human beings. And, or, you know, like you said, it's a degrading, it's a literally a non-consensually degrading term in the, in the vanilla world. And it's outside of the consensual role play. So, However, right, I remember the, the point of this is to emphasize that the forced part um, in kink, it's it's never actually forced. Someone, it's negotiated first, it's consented to, it can actually be stopped at any time. You can go back to outside of the role play and it can end for any reason. Um, but part of the scene and like what everyone is pretending to do is like uphold this fantasy of forced, you know, interaction, which... Um, you know, is can can make it feel really taboo, can make it feel really exciting. I think a natural question is, are the people who play the beta role in the cuckolding scene always beta in their real life? We'll be right back. My code SELS20 is your key to kicking off the sexiest new year ever had when you use it at funfactory.com. Enjoy 20% off Fun Factory's luxury products, including vibrators, cock rings, lube, and more when you use my code SELS20. Check out the Vim vibrating wand. Yes, the one featured on this podcast thumbnail. Grab the nose vibrating cock ring and experience more simultaneous orgasms in 2024. And don't forget to check out their rabbit style vibes. I'm talking about the lady by for toe curling blended O's all year long. Just fill your cart and use code SELS20 at checkout and enjoy 20% off when you shop funfactory.com. Cheers. Not necessarily. I mean, nothing is always anything, right? Some people like to be in a 24-7 dynamic, power dynamic, and that can involve cuckolding. And maybe, you know, there's a female-led relationship with a submissive male, and it's that way all the time. And usually in those kind of relationships, they fluctuate in intensity anyway, because logistically it's kind of impossible. Like you have to be really in a privileged situation financially and socially and everything to like do a high intensity you know, 24 seven all the time. Um, So usually people who are in that, it fluctuates and like at the grocery store, like somebody could still be submissive, but it's like usually stealth or like, you know, people, other people wouldn't notice necessarily. Mm -hmm. But all that to say is like, sometimes people enjoy doing a role play where they're in a submissive or in a dominant role in the role play. And in um, outside of the role play in like daily life, the rest of the time, 
their, you know, their power roles fluctuate depending on the context or they're equal peers all the time, which is really hard to do in the world that we live in because there are these power dynamics imposed on us that we, you know, have to deal with. But so no, not necessarily. It depends. Like somebody could be the alpha male, let's say in the household with his partner or his wife or whatever, and then love doing being the beta male in, you know, that's assuming that his wife also loves it. You know, that's great. Um, why not? You know, but it, it can be any of those configurations. I think that sometimes people assume what uh, we all like to do and quote the bedroom, which doesn't is never restricted to the bedroom is how we are in our everyday life. Um, and I think that's just such a fallacy. And especially when it comes when we're talking about especially cisgendered men, like this idea that if you enjoy being a submissive or, you know, everything from cuckolding to cock and ball torture to all of these other things in the quote bedroom, that means that in real life, you know, you're also passive or submissive. And, and it seems to me, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, at least from a lot of the research I've done that oftentimes people who are more dominant out in that in that you know boardroom so to speak or the household want that break when it comes to sexual activity the, another thing that people should realize and this this used to happen to me when i was a pro dom was one of my sex work jobs and i would be out at a party in that role and people would assume that oh they were submissive and so i must want to dominate them no that's not true like it's like it's not like oh so like i'm like what if you know, just out in the world, I'm this gender with this orientation. So therefore anyone complimentary is a valid, like eligible to date me. No, that's like, that's not true. It's all about, you know, dominant people don't feel dominant over everyone necessarily. Right. And same with submissive people don't want to submit to just anybody. So the people involved in this role play, it's very much about the people that are in it. Or like, even if it's a hookup thing, like it has to work, there has to be chemistry and the roles need to to work together and be complementary. And so that's one thing I think that's just important for people in general to know. Um, and then the other part, uh, you know, about you're saying like, it is really common. I think, again, I'll refer to my, you know, former job. A lot of my clients were people that had money because let's face it, sex work can be really expensive. And it's you get people paying for it who have extra money to throw around. Right. And so those were a lot of powerful people with a lot of money and they wanted to be submissive. And I know. And so now we go back to the research and my job as a researcher and sexologist is I know from the research that engaging in kink can be a huge stress relief and like stepping outside of like the role where there's so much pressure in daily life into a role where you make no decisions and somebody's doing things to you can be just a huge release for people. And so it makes sense that people in these like high powered positions in the world would want that. Now to complicate that further, I want to remind people that we all have intersecting identities. And so I think when we're talking about that person, we're thinking of like the powerful, like white cis straight man, because, you know, and he's the most privileged and he would probably need the most release from that pressure and maybe would see a need to be submissive. And so there's probably lots of these powerful men out there that if they're not submissive already, maybe they should give it a shot. But all that to say, like, you know, then you get somebody like 
I'll, I'll speak for myself personally. I have an intersection of privileges and marginalized identities. Like, you know, I'm white, which is a, a privilege. And I'm, I hear that I'm, I'm pretty good looking. Like maybe that depends on the context and who's asking or who's looking, but like, that's also a privilege historically. I used to be more conventionally attractive than I am now. Um, and otherwise, like I have these marginalized, you know, identities like being queer, like being trans, honestly being out as kinky, being out as all the things. And so, you know, probably that combination of things, like for me, I, I prefer to be in a dominant power role in my, within my relationships. And so I have multiple relationships and it varies. And like some of my partners, I'm very like peer and like, we'll do role plays of this and other partners, there's more of a power dynamic. But for me, I am now in this privileged position in my job and like an authority and expert and everything. And so you, you could put me in the camp of like, oh, this is a person who is in a position of power who would like to submit in their off time as a release, but it's not the case for me. Yeah, I think that we make a lot of assumptions about people and and we're so complex, right? And we bring yeah. that all to then, and it can shift and change. Well, for me, it shifts and change. For for you, it sounds like you're pretty static where you're, I'm like- I mean, even within that, it's it, it shifts and change over time. Like the way that dominance or submission expresses can change. And so I want to make sure we keep talking about cuckolding. So like even people who are like really into this dynamic and let's say they have long-term partners, they're probably non-monogamous for one thing, because there's more than two people involved. And so usually cuckolding, if it's a long-term thing also means you're non-monogamous, but you don't have to identify that way. Like, again, that's like a personal decision among partners, but the way that expresses over time, depending on like life circumstances or just the way someone's feeling hormonal fluctuations across time, like all sorts of things, you know, changes in jobs or like changes in family structure, whatever, this can all affect what you want the role play to be, but maybe you still really love cuckolding, but what you do in it can change. And I think that's really beautiful. I think it's, it's like, a it's a place where you can play and be creative and like feel like, you know, express yourself the way you want to. And like, you know, but it can stay within that dynamic too. We'll be right back. Start the new year off with a bang. My code explores 15 gets you 15% off womanizer.com's famous pleasure air text sex toys. You know, the clit satisfying sucking sensation that guarantees explosive orgasms. Just go to womanizer.com and check out my personal favorite, the Womanizer Duo 2. Get ready for blended orgasms or the premium too. Womanizer.com has something for you, whether you are seeking clitastic satisfaction, blended orgasms, or explosive G-spot experiences. Just shop womanizer.com and use my code EXPLORES15 at checkout for 15% off. That's 15% off all womanizer.com products with my code EXPLORES15 at checkout. Cheers. Right. I was going to uh, talk about, um, I want to talk about cuckolding in relationship to non-monogamy. It is technically a form of non-monogamy because it involves bringing other people in for sex. But can that couple still consider themselves a monogamous couple in that it's literally just, this is just the sex part, but we are the only two involved in our relationship? 
consider themselves whatever they want. Like I am not invested in labeling anybody in a way that they don't want to be labeled. Like I just, uh, someone has to tell me how they identify and I will agree with that because it's none of my business how they identify. Right. And so if a, if a couple, or even let's say they're a triad, a coupling triad comes to me and says like, you know, this alpha female and this beta male are the primary couple. And then their part, their other partner who comes in and like one name for that has been historically the bull, which is kind of like a lot of people think about now as a derogatory term. It's like kind of can be very racist and it can be a lot of things that are problematic. And so I, that's why I don't like go to that word. The hot wife is a word for like the, I call her the alpha female or like the, the femdom or whatever. Usually it's like a femdom person. Um, but yeah, those two, like the, the femdom and the beta male can be a monogamous married couple. And this can be a person that a friend or like, you know, a hookup or a lover or whatever, who comes in for this particular role play, they can consider themselves monogamous because what does monogamy mean? And like, I think that's as like a side ta- brief side tangent, when I do couples therapy with monogamous couples, I'll ask them like, what, did, how do you define that for each other? And like, what does that mean to you? And it's a really useful exercise. I recommend it for anyone in any relationship structure to say like, you know, cause typically in monogamous couples, they have stepped into this scaffolding of relationship that's been created for them. Like, you know, however many <laughs> years ago and that's when the assumptions are made and that's a real problem. That's why people are in therapy because a lot of times because they're making assumptions that are incorrect and like, they don't understand why, how could they be, you know, incorrect. And so if your monogamy is defined as like, we are emotionally monogamous where monogamy means marriage and means like, we don't have conventional types of intimacies with other people. And this being like something outside of that or, or, you know what I mean? It can mean anything. And so, yeah, sure. They can be monogamous and do cuckolding. Why not? I have a recent episode on non-monogamy where I brought in Effie Blue, who's sort of like known as an expert on non-monogamy. And she spoke about monogamy in terms of like a phone, you get it on and it comes with these default settings. And monogamy has sort of been our relationship default settings and they're really outdated for all everything that life is now for us from well puritanical times so you know you can look at your default settings and start tweaking them right (laughs) and call yourself whatever but you're like this is what monogamy means to me but you're gonna get to touch another dick (laughs) You know, and it's still monogamous because we're still together and in love and we go home and go to bed together. And I I think that's important to this conversation because I think a lot of shame comes into fantasies. Like, let's say there's a beta male out there or not even I don't want to say a beta male. Let's say there's a cisgendered guy specifically because I think cisgendered heterosexual men struggle with having fantasies of things like being a cuckold. Because they are so set in the mind frame of this is what it means to be in a relationship. And I'm supposed to feel this way about my, you know, cisgendered heterosexual wife. And this is what it's supposed to look like. But I keep jacking off to ideas of like some dude banging her. 
and me yeah. watching. And I mean, I know this. Okay, and so guys will be like, does that mean I'm gay? Or does that mean like I'm passive and all this stuff? And like, oh. no, it doesn't have to mean any of that. So, or maybe, I don't know. Right. But it's not a given. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have to mean that. And I think that that's the most important part of this conversation to moving forward. If you're someone, I don't care about your gender orientation, but you have this fantasy, but then you feel ashamed or feel like it means something wrong with you. The point is those fantasies, acting them out doesn't change. You get to decide. You could decide like who you are, what your relationship is, who you are out in the world. If you want to come and, and role play and like be told what to do and watch your person have sex with someone else and that fulfills the two of you, then great. It doesn't mean it definitely doesn't mean you're gay. Like, I don't know. Right. I don't know how you make the, that leap, but the only thing. Well, you know, we're conditioned. We're all conditioned with this idea of like you have to do things like by in this particular way and like a man watching a man have sex is like outside of that rule book. And it's, and so if it's outside the rule book, then like somebody could call you gay and like, you know what, that person's ridiculous. I'm just always so impressed and admire folks who know what they want. Um, especially like in, mainstream or not, like they know, they know they want this and they're going to go after it and they're not going to let somebody else whose business has got none of their business get in the way. And I, I feel like that is really powerful. That's a really powerful person. You know, I love that you say that because I get quite a few emails from listeners who are in mainstream relationships who maybe identify as heterosexual, who listen to the podcast and it resonates with fantasies and needs and wants they have. And they reach out to say, wow, this conversation really struck a chord. And now I know I need to move towards what I need and what I want and and to figure out how to, how to get there. And I think that is such a scary, scary, hard thing for people to do, to choose a path of a life that is devoid of fulfillment, whether that's sexual or relationship wise with someone else or in relationship with yourself, or to like, say, I'm going to do the scary thing and break the quote norm that's making me feel caged, and I'm going to do the thing. And I think that this is one of those fetishes that um, I mean, the stigma around it, but it's sexy as fuck to watch. Like, I don't know. And I think it's, and I think it's interesting as I watch it. Um, I think it's really sexy, like that a, in this, in the cases that I've seen, uh, a man would sit there and watch that and be, I don't know. I think it's really sexy. I don't, I, and I don't find myself going, oh, what a pathetic guy. I'm like, dude, hot. <laughs> Well, I mean, that guy gets to watch live porn. So, like, you know, that doesn't seem like, how is that? No, know, I don't know. Derogatory at all. And, like, there's all there's so many. So, I know that in the beginning you're saying, like, why do I like this porn? And, like, I don't know that we're going to be able to answer that because that's, like, how can we? Honestly, I think the why is something a lot of people get fixated on. And I personally don't think the why is all that important. I think people get fixated on that because they're worried about there's something wrong. Like, or unless they're like, Oh, I want to learn something about myself and then go towards that. Mm -hmm. I love that reason yeah. for asking why, but honestly, more often than not, and at least in the work that I do, it's been people worried and they want to be like, why 
am I like this? Or why do I like this? Is there something wrong? And I have to explain to them like, no, there's something wrong. Um, so that aside, there's so many reasons why, and like, it depends on what you're into. And because in this particular thing, there's, you just mentioned, and we were talking about live porn, there's an aspect of voyeurism, of exhibitionism, of like performance and getting witnessed as being really sexy or in control or powerful. And like, you know, being allowed to watch that, um, you know, there's so many reasons why somebody could be into it. You know, I don't know. Do you, what do you think is why do you, this is not, why why do I, I, you know, one thing, yeah. One thing I've talked about a lot on this podcast is I've had this journey specifically since starting this podcast, but really before then uh, it's why I started the podcast. But as I've interviewed more people and I've learned more about sex and I've met people doing all these different things in sex, like it was sort of like I opened the door to like some kinky stuff I liked And then the more that I learn about and witness and see things, the more I'm like, oh, well, that's hot, too. When I start stripping the shame away from most things sexual, suddenly they all seem hot. You know, the shame is really what holds a lot of, I think, or at least holds me. I should not speak for the rest of the world, but I think the shame is what has held me back from... um, a lot of of looking at a lot of different kinks as hot and and sexy. Now, there's just some stuff I, I I don't I will never I hope I'll never be into like I'm not into things that in, involve like blood play and some more extreme things. I'm not you know I have boundaries within my own life, but when it comes to things like this, I mean, why wouldn't why can't it be hot? Why does it have to mean anything about any member involved if everyone's consenting and everyone's doing it for each other's pleasure, right? Exactly. And I wonder too, because if we're and you're talking about if we're watching if you're watching porn of this, this is one of the this is not like mainstream porn, right? This is a different kind of a thing. And I wonder, are the people doing this porn? I'm in my fantasy of like your fantasy of the porn, it's like, because these people are really into it Mm -hmm. and that's why they've chosen to participate in like filming this, this porn, their scene and watching some people do some sex, sexy stuff. And they're really into it. It could be the thing like of how turned on these people are that also turns you on. Like that could be one of the, yeah. Who knows? I think it's an interesting dynamic too. I used to think I was just one kind of, thing like I there was a while where I was like I only want to be submissive in bed and then I realized oh that's not true that is not true (laughs) like I'm I like definitely enjoy being dominant and then I just realized I love to shift into all different roles I like I like doing lots of things I like trying on different roles I guess and and seeing what that's like I think there's something really hot about being in the role of a woman having her partner watch her I like definitely think about that sometimes like the excitement of having my partner watch other men fuck me and like in that role like if let's say it's a cuckolding scene and and you're having sex with somebody and your partner's like the person that you're having sex with could be dominating you or you could be dominating them. Right. And then the other, there could be like some kind of like multiple tiered hierarchy of power dynamics. And, and maybe that could switch and like maybe being witnessed 
in these different roles, you know, that's really sexy too. So that would be one of my questions too. Probably one of the, the, the more exciting versions I like is the idea of being dominated and made to fuck someone else in front of my partner. Is that a form of cuckolding or is that a different thing? We'll be right back. Kick off the new year with a jaw-dropping 30% off of some of the hottest sex toys and my favorite, Gleam Lube, with code EXPLORERS30 when you shop thethruster.com. Known as the home of the incredible build-your-own-thruster prime, thethruster.com is also partnered with lassiere.com, where you'll find gorgeous vibrating steel toys, and boutiquevoila.com, where you can grab a vibrating lipstick, a rubber ducky that gets lucky, or even get pounded by... Thor's hammer, literally, all for 30% off with code EXPLORES30. Just head to thethruster.com where you'll find The Thruster, Lassier, and Boutique Voila and enjoy 30% off your site-wide purchases with code EXPLORES30 at checkout. Cheers. Again, I'm going to go back to the very first thing I said, which was like, if that's what it means to you, then like, yeah, that's cuckolding. All right. I think I'm going to call that cuckolding. I think, and I also think, according to me, (laughs) that it really qualifies because I think that the cuckolding scenario is got, it involves three people. One of them is the person that doesn't get to do any of the, you know, fucking. And then who's usually watching or in the room or not allowed to participate. And then the other two people who are doing whatever they're doing. And so if you're asking me, like that's the power dynamics are integral. And like these three parties are integral in the scene. Yeah. Unless it's just verbal, but like we're talking about like the classic scene. And so then what the power roles of the other two people that are act- are doing like the more, you know, doing the fucking is like, sure, it could be, it could be that. And so I think it it really depends. And I think those are both pretty, I think both of those scenarios where there's like this dominant man who's dominating you and then your submissive partner has to watch. I think that's a pretty popular one. I think the one where it's the femdom who's having sex with the other, you know, person and the other, you know, who's like maybe their peers mm. or lovers and it's not a power dynamic, but It kind of is because she's got her husband and she's convinced this guy convinced with air quotes, right. Um, That her husband's going to be there watching. Like there's just all these permutations. And I think that those are all totally valid and done by people like, you know, yeah, they fall under the umbrella. It's an umbrella because I've definitely watched every last one of the scenes you've just (laughs) mentioned before in my, in my porn adventures. And I'm like, I find them all very interesting, but this brings me to, can we talk about are there benefits to uh, couples, let's say couples or even the individuals who try this out or are involved in this? Are there some things that this dynamic can bring to individuals and couples? In general, anytime we find ourselves drawn to something that's not our usual thing, you know, and decide to explore it. I think the benefits include like learning more skills about communication and negotiation and consent because that's involved. And I think anytime you have to practice that outside of your comfort zone, you're going to learn stuff about how to do that. And those are super useful 
in sex, you know, in daily life, whatever. And so learning about those skills. And then the other thing is learning about yourself and finding out some things about yourself, getting to know yourself better. Um, like what you, what you like, what you don't like, maybe you try it and you're like, well, I didn't quite like that, but that makes me think I might want to try this or whatever, like a permutation of it. Um, so you're learning about, about yourself and getting close, you know, it's like, I think it's a form of self-actualization actually, when you, you are curious about something and you like, you know, think about, well, are there people I want to do this with? You talk to them. Yeah. They want to do it. Like the whole process I think can be really super enriching for people. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I think when you are able to talk to your partner about fantasies and um, work together, if one of you has a fantasy or a role play situation you want to try um, and you're able to talk and then work through it, especially if the other person is like, I don't know if I want to like do that, that it's going to strengthen your relationship. And, and I think also when you dip your toe in the water, you know, I think watching your partner have sex with someone else is a big deal. And if it's something you do and don't like, and you're able to then still move through that and and keep your relationship smooth and just see it as an experience and talk about it and figure it out, that you come out the other side in a stronger yeah. relationship. Totally. And I want to emphasize too that, not, you know, it's, I feel like it's really important not to gloss over the initial, let's call it discovery phase, like before you even decide to do it. And let's say you have, you identify like cuckolding is really hot and I want to do this with my partner. You, you bring it up to your partner. I recommend like at a neutral time, not during or right before sex, but like at a time where you can feel like relaxed and not pressured. You talk about it. Your partner's like, that sounds great. Let's totally do that. Before you actually start, you know, before you start taking the steps to make it happen, I recommend really staying in this early spot to think of like, what will we need? Like, you know, what would be what's going to be the ideal setup for us to make us feel safe and comfortable and cared for and like really setting it up for success because just jumping into the role play with skipping over that could create lots of conflicts and like pain maybe, or like you might be like, Oh, I didn't realize I would feel this way or something. And you want to have contingencies and you want to like know how you're going to care for each other. And like, you know, what try to anticipate what some of those things are. That's, so I'm just recommending not to gloss over that part. All right. So for people who do want to sort of give cuckolding a, a try, can we talk them through maybe some stages to actually getting to the, the room with someone banging your partner in front of you? Are there things you can do kind of to pre prepare yourself beyond what you just said? Uh, try first and then to get to the actual experience. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think I started doing that. So like, you know, making sure everybody's on board and into it and, and then like, so raising the topic and saying like, okay, yeah. And then saying, but the next step being like, let's get clear on what we mean by that. Since as we discussed, it can mean so many different things. And what that can look like is comparing fantasies about it, which can be really hot and can lead to other kinds of sex like that, you know, 
that happen when partners get excited together and then deciding like, okay, I think this would be the one we both agree on that we would both really enjoy this, like the way that this plays out and like really talk about each part of it. Like, how would it start? Um, Who would it be? Like, where would it happen? Like, what, what do we envision? Like the whole, all the way through to the end, because a lot of people think like, oh, well, I want to be in sex in general. A lot of people think being impulsive or like, you know, improvising like that's those things are going to happen anyway if you do that in a really well thought out and established kind of container trajectory you're still going to get to have like surprises and exciting things and innovations and all of that but in fact you're going to have more room to do it because you've really been clear about what can happen and what can't happen that really opens things up sometimes people think that shuts it down it really does the opposite it opens it up so anyway so getting clear on what it is talking it all the way through and then and then going into it like okay do we anticipate any issues coming up like do we think there's going to be any jealousy or like you know any feelings about these different things do we want to do if this isn't somebody we know very well that we want to invite like do we want to um ask for sti testing like what do we want to do with this um and you know really kind of thinking about these things because these could be barriers and again when these things are figured out then you have much more room to play and so what kind of aftercare uh, is are people going to need everyone involved, right? Like what do people need? Um, if you're feeling insecure about it, what would make you feel more secure? And this could take a while to figure out. It could take months or it could take not that long. I don't know, but it's like, I don't know, but this makes me feel like a little jealous or a little insecure. Like, okay, what in our relationship can we do to make you feel more secure? Like, and then that's can be so lovely for it. Like, even if you never got to the scene, like you did that, and your relationship is already improved because you understand something about your partner, what they need in your relationship, right? And so I think all of that is really due diligence before getting to this scene that you've agreed on that you really like. And then getting into the logistics phase after all that stuff is set, like, you know, how how are we going to plan this out and all of that? Let's say you did it and you planned it and you and went and it it's not going the way that you thought it was going to, then to stop it or keep doing it if it's fun but don't think like, oh, that that wasn't for me. Unless you're like, that definitely wasn't for me. Just be like, it wasn't the way I thought it was going to be. Like the spoiler is it's not going to. There's a difference between reality and fantasy and it's gonna be different than your fantasy, but it could be just as good or better or maybe different and maybe you wanna tweak it. So it might actually take a few tries to get closer to the thing that you really want. You're gonna learn something in the process that you wouldn't have been able to imagine ahead of time. So. I love that. And I love that you brought up the the piece about asking your partner, what do you need to feel more secure? I don't feel like we do that enough in relationship with other people. And so many of us are running around with trauma, abandonment trauma, like, you know, attachment trauma. And we, we all know this and talk about it. But we never stop to say, okay, well, what can I do? do to make you feel more secure and at least hear it and figure out if that's something you can provide. I think yeah. that especially trying um, different situations out 
when you're in a partnership with someone like that, that is something that's really important. It is. And each person should do that. I I'm saying should, because I, it's my own personal opinion. I believe people should, each person should ask their partner. Um, if you're somebody in the relationship is feeling insecure, you're probably less likely to feel comfortable asking that. And so if your partner asks you, um, that's great. And then actually you can actually say something. It's okay to ask for something. It's good. It's good for your relationship. So that's a cuck holdings of relationship builder. All right. That's maybe, (laughs) I mean, I could service announcement today. You didn't know it was a PSA. This is, this is what we wanted to, to get you to that go out and cuckold, you will have a better relationship. All right. That's a massive statement. Unless that, you don't want to. Unless you don't, don't want to. Unless you don't want to. I think experimentation in general is uh, wonderful. Any aftercare suggestions for people who have, let's say they've gone, they just had their first cuckolding situation. They've gone back to their home together and they're staring at each other. What's a good idea? I mean, this this is another it depends on the people involved and they're going to know what they need um this is the answer to that question but usually it's whatever activities maybe it's alone time but often it can be together time that's in like a more typical environment like doing kind of things that make them feel back to baseline like cooking dinner together or going out to eat or like you know just talking and cuddling talking about how it went what they liked what they didn't like or watching TV together and definitely not talking about it. It's just like doing something that feels kind of like quote unquote normal together. And so that if one person, you know, cause if you don't do that, then sometimes the stigma and shame can like come into the space where that would have been and make, make it not a great experience. So that can actually, aftercare can actually mean the difference between having had a good in hindsight, like having yeah. had a good experience or not. And so when you interact with your partner and you're like, that was great. We did a cool thing. Like, I love that we did that together or like, it was okay. And like, here's what we could do better next time. Or like, we didn't really want to do that, but we are good together. And like, we want to do other stuff. I'm glad we tried it. And, you know, it's just kind of like that mutual, like, you know, talking about it. I think that's really important. I love that. And I'm going to ask a question I should have asked before. Do you have suggestions on where to find your third? Like an ideal first third, like in my thought, and I could be wrong, maybe choosing your best friend isn't the ideal, like first third to try. You know, probably not. But like, you know, I would never say I wouldn't rule anything out. I think that if you were going to ask your best friend, maybe you intuitively know that you've gotten some signals that maybe there's more than platonic, you know, there's some interest or there's some flirting, but yeah, that's, if you want to keep having like that best friend, your relationship is going to change probably in most cases. So yeah, maybe you want to think about that, but right. I, I don't know. I can't tell people where to go find dates. Like people, there's apps that people, I recommend being really transparent about it and not, not trying to trick anyone into doing something, um, I would say transparently, this is what we're into. And we're looking for somebody who's equally as into it as we are. And we want to talk about it. You know, do you want to talk about this? And you can do that on an app, like on a non-monogamy app, maybe is good. Like I hear people are using field, um, for non-monogamy, not like for cuckolding, but just like, um, there are different apps for that. You could go on FetLife, I guess. And like there, you could see, look for, there's certainly groups that are chatting about, 
it and like you can see who's in the group or like who's near you and um but uh it really depends on how people like to interact with other people right so Mm -hmm. um but the thing I want to emphasize is to be transparent and to be really consent focused and not like pressuring anyone and not trying to like coerce anyone or tell them it's something else and it's this or you know yes Thank you so much. Are there any last thoughts you have for listeners before uh, we say goodbye? No, but I'm just really excited that people are listening and like that means that they're curious about their sexuality and they want to explore or at least hear about it. And I think that's awesome. You're all awesome for listening. So that's all. Yes. Thank you for listening. And can you let my listeners know where to find you if they want to know more about you or get in contact with you? Yeah, so I have um, my local to New York website is dulceneapitagora.com, but the easier one to remember is kinkdoctor.com, which is a more not location-based, and it also links to my local site, so it's fine. Um, And then my handle on social media is usually kinkdoctor. Yes, and you will want, you mentioned so much up front at the beginning of this podcast that I think uh, that you're doing that will be of use to my listeners. So uh, make sure you brush up on that and make sure you follow them. And I want to thank you today for joining me and taking the time to explain cuckolding to me and to my listeners. I appreciate you. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. It was really fun. It was. Yes. And to my listeners, until next time, I'll see you in the locker room. Cheers. (laughs) Ring loop. Bring sexy back in 2024 with hot lingerie, sensual body products, and adventurous sex toys from lovehoney.com, all at a 15% discount with code EXPLORES15. Embrace your inner bombshell with their gorgeous bra and panty sets, baby dolls, and corsets. Then explore your desires with their line of toys that range from vanilla is my flavor to tie me up and call me good girl daddy. And don't forget to treat yourself to massage candle or essential body oil, all for 15% off with code EXPLORES15 when you shop lovehoney.com. That's right, 15% off on lingerie, sex toys, and more when you shop lovehoney.com and use code EXPLORES15 at checkout. Cheers.